would help if I turned that on. I, uh, I am so glad to see so many uh, here and to welcome to all of those who uh, you are new here and a guest with us. I hope you can sit back and relax. Uh, we, we put a lot of time to make sure that we have great quality worship, a helpful message. Uh, we want this consistency so you know every Sunday you know what you're going to get, and it's a good thing. And uh, we hope because of that you can go, oh, you know what? I have a friend that I could invite. You know, there's a friend that actually might be uh, helped by this. And I'm excited about our next series. We have one more to go on, on this series on financial peace. But our next one is preparing us for Easter, sort of getting our heart ready for Easter. So we're going to f- focus four weeks on Jesus and particularly his teaching. And, uh, and the, the, the title of it is The Story Behind the Story. The Story Behind the Story. And the idea is, is that we're going to look at some of the parables, the stories that Jesus told, and then unpack some of the things that are behind it from the Old Testament and uh, just dig down to, so wow, that wasn't just a surface story that has layers and layers and layers. And so the, I'm excited about that. If these are things that you are, are looking forward to, I hope you can invite a friend uh, and bring a friend here to our service. Let's pray and uh, ask that God would teach us from his word. Oh, Heavenly Father, the word peace is so good and so needed. I need peace, God. We all need your peace. And, and I know for these moments, these next few moments, as we sit listening to your word and worship and, and, and pray and connect with you, we sense it. We sense your peace. Because I, I believe that there's peace in your presence. We get a taste of it here on Sundays, and God, we want to carry that with us as, as we meet with you through the week. God, God I, I pray you'll unpack your word. Help us to be able to hear you and your whisper, even beyond my voice. And I invite you to do that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Uh, every so often I, uh, I see, you know, a TikTok or a reel that I just, like, I have to watch several times over and over again. And uh, there's this one, I, like, I like food, and there's this somebody that was going to try this food, whatever the food was, I'm not sure. It looked at, like it might have been something fishy, and they were about to, to lower it into their mouth. Do you know what, what's going to happen, right? You know what's on. You already know what's going to happen. And as they're about to lower it down, guess what happens? A seagull sees it and goes, Phew, and boom, just like that, it is gone. And, and the guy goes, what? What? And then you go, that was so cool that you caught that. You caught that robbery on tape, man. I, I love that, except uh, I, I just would hate that. I would hate the seagull. Food is very important to me. You know, Joey on Friends, you know, that, that's a really high value. I, I love food, and I can't believe it could get stolen so easily by a bird. I'm not into animal cruelty, but I would uh, suggest that would be possible for some instances. God has given each of us a gift, a yummy gift, a wonderful gift, a gift that we're supposed to enjoy. It's a thing called shalom, peace, wholeness. He, when he died on the cross, he paid my penalty so I can, I, I can have free access to God. He actually beat the works of the devil, and so now I have power over them. There's a third thing he did on the cross. He gives us his shalom, at least the possibility, if we can come and grow closer to him, we find his peace. (laughs) The thing is, it's these seagulls in our lives that come and just snap it away and steal it, and you go, 
But one of the biggest seagulls with the biggest appetite I found is in our area of finances. There's this beautiful gift of shalom, but we worry. And I know, I know, as, as I talk to you, there's good reason to worry, isn't there? Because you're saying, well, I didn't get the raise. Man, we barely even got a little bit of a raise. And they're asking me to do more work, and people are losing their jobs. And, ah, oh, oh, and, and, like, those are real things. I'm not, try, I'm not trying to push them away as false things. I'm just saying, you can't let those things steal your peace. Because, because there is this, uh, this desire that God has for you. His, his desire is for you to be rich. Now, now I, not rich, just you're not going to be driving around the Lamborghinis, okay? Let's put that one aside, all right? That's for other preachers, okay? Don't listen to them on, on just don't listen to them, all right? Because <laughs> you just got to give a lot of money to them. So anyway, we'll put that one aside. God wants you to be rich in your heart, in your soul, in your relationship. He is going to provide for you, but there's a richness that he gives you. And you know, let, let, me, let me read this. It's a proverb. It goes like this, Proverbs 10, 22. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. That, that makes us rich. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. I love the second part of this, and he adds no sorrow to it. Have you ever been in get-rich-fast uh, schemes or, you know, having to figure things out, and like the stress of it all. He says, hold on, hold on. I'm going to give you a richness of life, a richness of experience, which includes provision. But guess what? I'm not going to bring sorrow with it. It's just this beautiful thing I am going to give you. And so we're, we're digging over these four weeks to find out, well, what is that? How do you access it? How, how do you get this? How do you get this peace, this shalom, this richness from, from God? Week one, we talked about there is no win in comparison. The more we compare each other with each other, we're just trying to all just one-up each other, and, and that just increases the lack of, uh, of peace in our lives. So we're chasing the wind, the Bible tells us. We're chasing the wind. Although it's good to have drive, it's good to, to, to try and get ahead. That's all God-given. There is an anxiety kind of drivenness. You know what that's like. I got it, I got it. And then there's an exciting, oh, there's opportunities, and, and this is a good thing. There are, there's a richness that God brings without, without sorrow added to it. And so we looked at a uh, definition, contentment, to be content with what you have. Contentment is realizing that God has provided everything I need for my present happiness. So I thank you, God. And so that's what we did. We just say, thank you, God, for your gifts. Thank you, God, for your gifts. Thank you for God. Thank you for your gifts. Uh, interesting listening to a, uh, um, a brain surgeon. He says there's a switch in the inner brain, the hippocampus, that switches. It can only do one of two things. Your, your thoughts can only spin on the internal sort of uh, anxious brain or, or can switch and go to our frontal cortex where we think about things. So he says this interesting thing. You can only hold on to, to uh, anxiety or gratefulness. You can't do both at the same time. You can't be anxious and allow your mind to be filled with gratefulness. But if you fill your mind with gratefulness, you'll notice the switch switches and the anxiety starts to go. And so thank God for his good gifts. Thanks God for his good gifts. Week two, last week, we talked about work is not a four-letter word. 
Well, literally, it is. But beyond that, work is not a four-letter word. It's not a bad thing. In fact, you were made for meaningful work. God is our boss. And so we say, okay, God, if I can work for you, I can put up workers. <laughs> if I can work for you, I can work for bosses that are a little questionable because you are my boss, and I'm just going to look up to you and say, this is for you. This is for you, God. This is for you. And if we can do this, it, it changes how we do things, and, and, and we don't pop from place to place and, and try to do as least as possible instead of saying, God, thank you for making me for work, and, and I'm going to do this for you. And, and the definition we looked at was diligence, visualizing each task as a special assignment from the Lord, and using all my energies to accomplish it. Well, week number three, week number three, we're going to look at a word, a word to sort of get us into this whole subject. And uh, I've, uh, I've had the privilege of uh, teaching at a seminary for a lot of years and be involved in uh, research for Next Generation. I was in, uh, involved in research projects for the last 35 years, 35 years. So idea of what changes uh, generation after generation with this Next Generation in Canada. As uh, one of my mentors said, you know what's more interesting, Dave, is not what changes, but what stays the same. And he said, there's about 80% of how teens or this next generation are that just stays the same through generations, year after year after year. Now, there's some other things that unpack it around, but if you want to understand the next generation, there are some things that don't change. Top three. Number one, friends, friends, friends. Friends are most important. One day, the awesome... Awesome kids are playing with Barbies, and then, whoa, friends are everything. I will listen to my friends beyond everything else. I will listen to friends beyond reason, I, because it's all about my friends. Now, that stage lasts for a while, and then, and then, then digs down to, to, to a next stage, but friends happen. The next one is just to be loved. Can I just be loved who I, who I am? That just makes sense, right? Makes sense. The third value that uh, does not change over the years is this one called freedom. Freedom! I need to get away from my parents, that cocoon-ripping freedom, and spread my wings, and I can be me. Oh! Now, if you have little kids, you go, no, my kids will not do that. They will love their parents for the rest of their lives and only want to be around you. <laughs> You can dream on, all right? Dream, dream, dream. Okay, the idea is there's this cocoon-ripping freedom. Get me away. I want to be myself. And the interesting thing is freedom seems to be a cultural value in our culture around us. Everywhere we go, we just want to be free, free, free. Uh, it's the political left talks about freedom. The political right talks about freedom. That's one way they agree they don't agree on that. Anyway, they both just want freedom. Freedom. The American Declaration of Independence. The freedom of speech. Freedom to gather. Just free, free, free. Freedom is a, a foundation of our liberal democracy. And, and so I looked up, what, what does freedom look like? And so here's the, def, uh, the definition in the dictionary. Freedom is to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. You can just be free to do whatever you want. In fact, that's what it's described as, freedom. I can do whatever I want. Why? Because I'm free. In fact, Disney movies for years, don't hang out with your dad. Just like, be free. I saw him. Just be free. Just be free. 
Well, God's word talks about freedom. Isn't that awesome? You know that word, if you've heard this phrase, if you don't really have, have read the Bible that much, you've heard about this one. I'm sure the truth will set you free. That's actually in the Bible. The truth will set you free. But can I tell you, when God talks about freedom, it's pointedly not doing whatever you want. It's like freedom does not mean doing whatever you want. In fact, the idea of doing whatever you desire brings evil and chaos, and it just makes a mess of yourself, a mess of all those around you. Uh, every so often, if you've tried to read the Bible through, you hit some sections of uh, stories in the Bible, you go, why was that there? It's like, oh my goodness, like they don't teach this in children's ministry, all right? This is one you skip over in children's ministry. It's uh, like uh, there's lots of stories like this in the book of Judges where, where they, they take a person, not, I, can't even say it on, I can't even say it on stage, it's in the Bible. I just can't say it. But after all that happens, this person gets cut up in pieces and they throw the pieces around and, to get everybody to, to go to war. And you go, yeah, it's in the Bible. Yeah, that's in the Bible. And you go, why is that in the Bible? That just seems gross. And that's why some people will just don't read that section of the Bible. The secret of that section of the Bible is this. Right at the end of that section, it says this in Judges 17, 6. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody just did what they thought was right. I think I'm doing what's right. Well, I think what I'm doing is right. Well, I get, I'm, I'm free to be whoever I, I'm free to be. And then that whole society of freedom just got in a mess of chaos and evil. It's interesting, as somebody that's, uh, that's studied someone's philosophy, it's interesting to look what are, are some of the underlying assumptions, the whole idea of I can do whatever I want. There's an assumption that all people are created created good, and, and everybody is just a good person. And that's partially true. It is partially true. We are created in God's image, so there is goodness in everybody's soul. There is goodness in everyone's soul. But also, we all bear the scars of the fall. And every single person, including the long, youngest little one, has the hearts that are selfish. No. No, Dave. Pastor Dave, they are not. You need to babysit a two-year-old. Just, you just need to babysit a two-year-old, and that will be very instructive, right? No! 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 <laughs> Come out, evil. No. <laughs> you just know that there's goodness in everybody, but there's also selfishness. And guess what? That's in every one of you. That's in me too, so it's in me. Every one of us has this, this scars from the fall. The Bible talks about freedom. Freedom. Why does the Bible talk about freedom then? The Bible says, first of all, don't, don't you know you're slaves? You're slaves to the selfishness that's inside of you. And, and, and the freedom that God is, is not freedom to do things, it's freedom from the evil that lurks in my own soul. The evil that works in my own soul. And so when you hit a verse like this, I, and this is something that Jesus said, like culturally you go, that's not good. But if you understand what true freedom is, then this is beautiful. This is what Jesus says. If you want to be his disciples, this is what he says in Matthew 16, 24. And then Jesus said to his disciples, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple, I do, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Hold on. I'm supposed to deny myself? Listen, there is a selfish part in there that God's going to free you from. And God is gentle, and Jesus is beautiful. And Jesus so beautifully sets you free from selfishness so you can live for others. So we're talking about the quality of of self-control. Self-control versus self-indulgence. The Proverbs says it this way, uh, Proverbs 25, 28, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a person who has no control over his spirit. In other words, there's lots of things you're letting in that we won't even talk about now, but there is evil that you will let in. The walls are broken down. Well, well, well how, how can I stop that? Well, well you need to have self-control versus self-indulgence. The whole idea, one of the things that, that, that uh, stops us from having true self-control is the, the, the time lag of feedback loops. I think there's always consequences to wrong actions. God sows it into the universe. Sometimes the feedback loop is, is immediate. And, and, and you can all think of immediate feedback loops. Don't play in traffic. That's an immediate feedback loop, you know, boom, boom, right? Remember a six-year-old, I found him, my mom's bobby pin. What happens if you put it in an electrical socket? The feedback was immediate. <laughs> and I'm barely alive because of it. The hand's all burnt up, right? But you know that there's some feedback loops. You start something and you don't, you don't find out the payment for a while, right? I went to university uh, in the States, and they had this food program. It was amazing. It was so good. Oh, my goodness. You had three choices of of this great food every meal. You can eat as much as you want. I remember we had a contest to see how how many veal parmesans you can eat. I ate eight of them, and I won the table. I was really proud of that. That's one of my accomplishments. It's on my resume. It's, and they, they had all the ice cream you wanted, all the chocolate milk you wanted. I, I had floats, and it was amazing. And like, freedom! You don't have to pay for it. Freedom! Until about, one, about three or four months later, you go, wow, there's no such thing as a freshman 15. It's freshman 20. It's like, right? The, the feedback was not immediate. It sort of took a few weeks and months. And then, year two, as you waddle into the line, you go, but I want, I want, and it looks so good if I just have one extra, not seven, right? You discover one extra still doesn't help. You waddle bigger. Ah, you start to go, ah, but I can do whatever I want. Oh, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) But there's feedback to that, right? There's always feedback to that. We notice this. (laughs) We we notice this in uh, the area of spending, don't we? Don't we? (laughs) Oh, man. It was uh, when, when I hear old stories about, you know, Wild West, they get their check and they spend it all and, that was their feedback loop, about a week. But now we have credit cards. 
And so, so it's the January credit card, right, that you get, and you go, <laughs> you open it with fear and trembling, right? And you go, what did I spend on Christmas? Oh, my goodness. They must have added things there. Like, what happened there? Like, hey, hey, yeah, let's talk about this. Why, okay, how, how, come this, how come we're spending so much? It's because the feedback wasn't immediate. It wasn't immediate. There was a month. And then just like the second year of my, of my university, you go, well, I'll just cut down a little bit. You find out month number two is even bigger. And if you don't open the, the letters for a while, you say, I'm just, la, 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 la. <laughs> you find out the whole lack of peace that God wanted you to have is stolen. In fact, the stress is palpable. You try and carry that in your gut. And it affects everything you do. Although the Proverbs state the obvious. Sometimes the book of Proverbs, you go, duh. <laughs> yep, that's it. Proverbs 22.7. The borrower is slave to the lender. Yep. <laughs> I am like, I am like fully a slave when I, when I borrow a lot. In fact, Scriptures talk about the new community in the New Testament in Romans. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. Isn't that great? That's what the church should be. Let's not owe each other money. Let's, I owe love to you. Why? Because I was given everything by Jesus. So I owe love to you. And, and I feel in debt to, to, to love each other here where the whole financial thing no, no. Um, is it evil to borrow? Certainly not. Jesus told people to lend to others. But it's just dangerous. Just dangerous. I remember I had a chemistry class. And uh, they said, uh, you're, you, you should put, like, suit up, get a, get, get a gown on, put gloves on, because uh, this next experiment uh, is a little dangerous. And we're going, oh, yeah, it's dangerous. What are we going to blow up? And I was wanted to blow something up, right? And they said, no, you're, you're handling benzene. Oh, okay. What's the big deal with benzene? It's a carcinogen. It causes cancer. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Can I have more stuff on? Like this is like dangerous. Okay, dangerous. I want you to feel that way when the card comes out, man. Oh, put the gloves on, man. Oh, because this is dangerous stuff. I'm doing. Can I pay this off? Well, what does self-control look like? What does self-control look like? Is he just not buying anything? Um, my dad, whole different generation. I'm a different generation from most of you, and he's a different generation from me, right? So this is going way back. <laughs> Here's a really cool idea. It's not taught much because uh, it's ancient. It's called saving up. What? Oh, my goodness. Really? Oh, my. Raw. I never knew about that one. You mean I could save up to buy something? 
My, my dad would tell me about this. I don't even think they do this anymore. But when, when he was, he got a ring from my mom. Aw. Couldn't afford it. Aw. <laughs> and so he did this thing called buying on, on time. Or, or what he did was, you hold on to, I'm going to put a deposit, and every month I'm going to come and bring some money. You hold on to the ring. But I know you're holding on to the ring. And I'm not going to pay any interest. I'm just going to pay a bit every month until it's done. And if I stop paying, you have it. So there's motivation to keep on paying, but no interest. He'd go in. He said he'd look at it every month. Look at it. And then he'd pay it a little bit, whatever the little bit was. And after about a year and a half, he took it. All paid up. Wow. My dad kept on trying to teach me about these things. About buying horrible cars. Junkers. <laughs> to something that I could slightly afford. And then start to make car payments. To myself. And the number of years I did that is like amazing. And I remember, I still remember the day when they go, hold on, I have enough saved up. I can actually get a car I want. <laughs> it was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> what can I get? Because I've been making payments to myself now instead of to banks. God bless the people that work at banks. <laughs> this is what Greg Groeschel talks about. He says, live like no one else around you. In other words, poor so that you can live like no one else around you in the future without any sorrow. Okay, Dave. Okay. Uh, we just went to a financial seminar. Why are we talking about this at church? Why is this a church thing? Let me tell you why it's a church thing. We, when we talk about money, we talk about God's money. He owns everything we have. He owns it in three different ways, in three different levels. Level number one, God just owns everything. Since he's the creator, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Basically, this is his stuff because he made it. It, it. it would be like you staying out of bed and breakfast going, whoa, I can break this. Let's take this, you know, let's take this home. Let's go and try and sell this. Hold on, it's not your stuff. It's somebody else's stuff. Oh, Oh, I, yeah, I didn't know. Be careful because it's not yours. Not only has he, everything is his because he made it, God has given us our ability. If you think, well, I've been able to make this, well, who gave you the IQ, the opportunities, the people he brought into your life? Who, who gave you the education? Who gave you all the stuff so you could do something? That was God, 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 God. He gave all that to you. It's put this way in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. So what do you have that you did not receive, including your intelligence, your opportunities, your family, all that? And if you did receive it, why do you boast about it as if you did not? It's like, okay, I'm so much better than I'm smarter. I work. Uh. No. You got all that from God. And lastly, lastly, if you have given your life to Jesus, here at Church on the Rock, we, we talk about these, uh, this, a faith moment. And, and what happens is we're born where we're stained with sin, and, and God can't have fellowship with that. 
So that sin's got to get away for us to, to know him, actually to live forever. And so he sent his son to die and pay the price. So it's like this bucket, this huge bank of, of forgiveness of sin. But we have to go up to the teller and go, I'm in. That's the faith step where you go, you're going to cross the line and say, God, will you forgive my sin? I, I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm in. You know what? He forgives it all, every single penny of it. He forgives it all. Now he becomes your father. Your sin is gone. And now you, become, you can get to know him. That's, that's, that's becoming a believer. That's, it's a faith step. And that's so beautifully how easy it is. You, you, call, in the, um, call in the name of the Lord. You'll be saved. That's, that's what this is about. If you confess Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that he's died and risen again, You'll be saved. What? Saved from punishment, saved from wrath, saved from all the bad stuff. And you get to know him. So confess him as Lord. God, you're, you're the boss. You're the Lord of my life. You are the Lord of my life. And so the third level is not only does he own everything, he's given you everything to be able to do anything. But if you've given your heart and life to Jesus, triply, you say, it's yours. It's yours. Clothes I have on my back, my, uh, my car, my house, my kids, it's all yours. It's all yours. In 1 Corinthians 19, it, it, it goes like this. Uh, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So at the heart of self-control, at the heart of self-control is this. heart of self-control is actually Christ's control. God this is all yours, so what do you want me to do with it? You know the number of stories, if you read, the, read uh, the, the Gospels, the number of times it says this great landowner goes away and he puts his managers in charge of his property. And then he comes back to see how, managers, how did you do with my property that, that I gave you? That's the same thing. Everything we have is, is, is his, and so we're just managing his stuff he's given us. We're just managing his stuff. So at the heart of self-control is, okay, God, my boss, my Lord, what do you want me to do? Because you're it. I'm just going to follow you. In Galatians 5, 24 and 25, those who belong to Christ, Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The secret of self-control is Christ's control. The, the definition I have for today is this. The person that did this, I thought, really understood it. Self-control is the instant obedience to the initial promptings of God's Spirit. Self-control is the, init is the initial, uh, instant obedience to the initial, initial prompting of God's Spirit. Okay, I think I'm going to go there. Don't go there. Oh, I'm going this way. <laughs> oh, man, I want to hang out with these friends. Don't do that. Oh, you know what? I, I'm going to make some other plans. Yeah, that's self-control. That's self-control. It's like, wow, whoo, I, I, I can go and get anything I want. Hold on, no, 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 you're my Lord. And so, Lord, what do you want me to get? 
you know, do I, I get to have my, my next thing? And sometimes, you know what he says? Yes. And enjoy it. <laughs> have the cake. Praise God. Then if somebody else says, well, you shouldn't be having cake. No, Jesus told me, have cake. <laughs> uh, I remember uh, traveling and, and I, I, I traveled around a lot more and I needed another bag for traveling. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I saw this really cool one. It was like blue, uh, like canvas. With leather, leather, what do you call it? Like accents. I go, oh, that's cool. My old one's falling apart. Ooh. And I look at it. I look at the price of it. Oh, that's why it's still on the shelf. <laughs> but then I started thinking. I started calculating. Started calculating. It's within the budget. I've got the money. Budget. Got the money. I need it. Check, 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 right? And then... Uh, I asked Jesus. <laughs> he said, no. And then I had a little hissy fit for a while. But I want, and it's pretty, and I can afford it. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's sort of on your way to submission, you know. That's on the way to initial Obedience to the promptings of the Spirit. I, you know, some, some of us have little moments before we, we get there. Okay, walking out the door. Goodbye. We almost, we almost had a thing. <sighs> uh, got thinking about it again a few months later. What was the name of that company? Looked it up online. What? 70% off. Jesus. <laughs> this looks good. Yes, you can. Oh, praise the Lord. This is over a bag, okay? <laughs> does not not want your joy he wants to give you good things he does it's not about oh i can't do anything because god always says no sometimes he says go and do this enjoy feast joy but that is what self-control is self-control is christ control christ control and this is about everything. I get asked to speak around, and I go, oh, that'd be so cool to go there. And oh, yeah, I love it. It fills me up. And yeah, I'm about to say, I am there. And then I stop because I know that sometimes I just say, I'm there without actually asking Jesus. And then it never turns out good at all. <laughs> it's just horrible. Like, okay, I got to get myself in a place. Okay. To be able to hear the no, right? Okay, I'm ready for you to say no. Would you want me to do this? And when he says yes, I praise him all the more. When he says no, I go, thank you. Because the secret of self-control 
is Christ. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. A good friend of mine uh, put me onto this interesting podcast by a guy called Huberman. Actually, James put me on. Huberman didn't put me onto it. He said there's actually a part in our brain, the anterior cingular cortex, that regulates our tenacity and willpower to say no to things. It can be built up. Isn't that awesome? You can build up that willpower to say no. How do you do that? And he says you do it through micro-sucks. What's a micro-suck? You do something little and you go, I want to do that. Oh, it sucks I can't do that. So you don't do it. <laughs> and those little micro-sucks start to build up the ability to be able to say no to the bigger things. And so let's pray that God would give us this beautiful secret of self-control, which is Christ control. To say, God, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me stay away from? What would you have me say? What would you have me purchase? And you'll start to understand that God will make you rich without sorrow, because he's in control. He is our Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being our Lord and not just saving us for heaven, but wanting to be involved in every little moment here on earth. I just thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for what you want us to experience here now. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I go, I, I did a three-year study on what the Bible says about finances. If you're interested in going deeper than this series, we have these booklets out there. They're free. You can take it, and uh, they're almost like devotionals. You can do one. It gives you some uh, things to think about in order to uh, reflect on those things. I hope you can take and enjoy. All right, worship team, bring us, bring us to Jesus. Jesus.